Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Daniel, we're your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. Considering this is the final podcast of this podcast of 2022, I thought it would be a worthwhile exercise to reflect on the year that was in NBA basketball. And Jared Dubin is my guest of 538 and many other wonderful outlets. And I thought it was a great conversation working through what has changed over the past year, perceptions of teams, perceptions of players, not as much on, you know, who won the MVP and who was the finals thing, but really like what has shifted in terms of how we think about the direction of a franchise success and everything else like that. So great conversation brought to you by betonline.ag. Use the CLNS50 promo code to get yourself a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. And this episode runs just a teeny bit under an hour, but a lot of really good stuff in here. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me, man. It's always a good time. We're recording this in late December, and I know there are a lot of good, great year in review podcasts. I was not necessarily anticipating doing one for Real GM Radio, and we won't do that entirely. But I was th- thinking about it, and you know, do I, I do podcasts with you frequently, and one of the podcasts that you come on is the Division Capsule, typically for the Atlantic. And the one of the question that we usually end those podcasts with is player specific, and we can do some of those if we think of it. But it's who will we be talking about differently a year from now? And those, it's usually August to August, but this is you know late December to late December. And a year is a long time. We often forget how the passage of time works. So something that I sent to you beforehand was the standings of the NBA on as of the end of December 31st, 2021, as it went into 2022. And I'll give you the I'll give you the first run if you have one that immediately struck out to mind of like a team that we're thinking about that we're talking about differently now than we were then. Uh, well, the, than we were then, I would say certainly the uh, the Boston Celtics were 17 and 19. Yeah. On De- December 31st of last year. And then the New Orleans Pelicans were 13 and 22. Right. And the Pels were Those like one and 11 out. to start the year. Yeah. And then uh, the Bulls were 23 and 10. Sure. Um, a lot of other teams are vaguely in a similar range to where they were. Um, when we had talked about this pre-podcast, I thought that we were when we were talking about teams that we think of differently now, I thought we were talking about the start of the season. So I was going to have a couple different answers. But certainly like Boston and New Orleans on the high end, Chicago on the low end. Uh, Utah was 26 and 9 last year. It's obviously a much different team now. Um, the Wolves were 16 and 19, and I think their record is around the same area now. Yeah, they're 16 and 18. That's but, funny. Uh, I think we think about them a lot differently now than we did then, too. Right. I, I think those are all good ones. I think we'll get into that. But I want to start in a very different place, and that's Orlando. So last year, oh, the, Magic, the Magic were 7 and 29. And yes, their record at 13 and 22 is not dramatically different. But part of this is not about the record and how the team is playing. It's the direction of the franchise and where things are moving forward. And so one of the differences with the Orlando Magic is last year, the start of the season, I mean, I was floored by how well Franz Wagner was playing and the the questions because I wasn't high on him at all from a film perspective I thought his summer league was shaky and now he's just established himself that he is a very good NBA player like that is that is where he is right now I expect Franz Wagner to be meaningfully better than that seriously considered him for top 10 prospects and I would have had no opposition John Hollinger had him in there I had no opposition to that whatsoever and they added Paolo Bancaro and Bancaro, remember, it was a pretty open, it felt that way, number one pick. And part of the weird thing here is that we don't know what Chet Holmgren, you know, his NBA career is uh, having a delayed start. But for Orlando, despite other players and, you know, they haven't fully figured out the guard situation, I feel so much better about them right now than I did beginning of last year, middle of last year. Yep, I even feel a lot better than them than I did at the beginning of this year. Sure. Um, you know, Franz, I think, has gotten better. And then the combination of him and Paolo on the wing, they're just so big. And Paolo especially is so physical. He's like so much more physically dominant, I feel like, in the NBA than he even was in college, which is really weird because obviously the body types are, you know, bigger, stronger, faster in the NBA. But I think it just plays up for him, the fact that he has that kind of size and that kind of physicality. Like I remember the first game I watched him uh, in the NBA was early in the year. I can't remember who they were playing. And it was like the first quarter. He just kind of like bulldozed his way through guys for three layups. And I was just like, this dude's just going to do that his entire career. 
Like there's there's nobody among big wings that's like similar size to him. And like right now he's playing obviously more as like a wing type, but you know he could slide up to the four. Like it, it done that at times when Carter has been out or Bamba has been out or whoever. Um, the combination of those two guys is really good. Marco Fultz has played well when he's been able to play. Bull Bull obviously has been like a revelation. So like even though they've had Carter out at times and Bomb out at times, like they've had three guys that can sort of like that are so big and that can still create. And it's just a really interesting mix. It is. And a part of what excites me the most about the Magic is that I I believe this core if we're especially for narrowing that to Bancaro and Franz Wagner for the second, they make sense around a lot of different players. So basically, if this front office can add talent, whether that's by getting a good draft pick, by getting a worse draft pick and getting the right player using cap space, which they could have any of the next couple of years, that makes sense. And that's also why players like Bull Bull, who has dramatically exceeded my my evaluation of him at this point a year ago, where I wasn't even sure he was going to be in the league at this juncture, much less contributing. And players like Wendell Carter and quality guard play, whether that's more defensive or offensive. Like, I love the ball being in Bancaro and Wagner's hands, and I think that's a really positive part of their story. But if they ended up with Scoot Henderson and Scoot Henderson is as good as the optimists say he is, they'll be they'll be great. And not every player fits that description. Not every good young player fits that description. And I do so I I think for Orlando, the idea that they're not done, but they're so much better situated is really welcome yeah i would agree with that and like I, I i like i agree with you that they have the ability to obviously play next to like a lead ball handler type like when Fultz has been out there he's sort of taken on a bunch of the ball handling responsibility even like cole anthony when he out, is out there um, takes on a bunch of ball handling responsibility but i also like that they're getting a chance to stretch themselves as yeah. you know individual creators as playmakers um all of those different things it's going to help round out their games and that kind of stuff helps you play alongside other ball handlers too because if you've got a like second side create it helps if you can individually create to begin with you know you don't just have to have an advantage created for you the ball can get swung to you and even if there's no advantage there you can create anyway because you have that experience and the ability to do it already and like realistically like they're not there defensively yet but you can see a situation where like you can play Franz and, and Paolo at the two and the three the three and the four or the four and the five because of the way because of their size and because of the way that their skill sets sort of fit together right i I think that the four and the five would be tough defensively particularly right now um but you know they they have the size to make it work if they can get there in terms of like knowing what they're doing and you know being on time and things like that that kind of ties in for me a little bit with new orleans and part of what i've liked so much i i wondered last year when things got better for them as you mentioned they were 13 and 22 at the end of the calendar year last year. And they had that brutal start. Ingram was out a lot of that. Ingram has been out a fair amount this year. Is that New Orleans, we weren't sure at that point that rookie class that has turned out so well with Alvarado and with Herb Jones, it has really stepped up. And one of the questions, once we kind of had that, which we didn't at that juncture, like Herb Jones looked great defensively. Alvarado was working his way, as I recall, into the rotation at that juncture is, well, how are they going to incorporate Zion Williamson? And the answer has been, you know, it's not, it hasn't always been seamless because of some of the spacing stuff. We've seen the way that certain opponents have defended when Herb Jones and Zion are on the floor together, but it has worked out very well. And New Orleans has the benefit, which a lot of teams that are finding their way, and maybe that's not a fair description for New Orleans when you consider you know where they are and cleaning the glass net rating right now or something because like by the way they're second as we're recording this podcast and cleaning the glass net rating is they're so talented that they can just figure it out and credit to Willie Green credit to these players for not always having the you know like the traditional like way like the way that you know a lot of us love to build a basketball team but just being talented enough being playing hard enough to win anyway I don't want to um you mentioned the rookie class from last year and I think it's important that we don't skip over Trey Murphy oh yeah in that class too great call because he sort of locks in like he's filled in at different times this year starting in place of Ingram, of Herb Jones, and of Zion. And he's that guy that just like clicks in next to basically all of their pieces within any of their lineups just because like you can't leave him open. Like I remember when I was at Nets Pelicans earlier this year and they just left him wide open for like six threes. And I was just like, guys, that's that's the shooter right there. I felt like I was in like uh Mighty Ducks where uh Russ Tyler comes up and they get him the puck and it's like, Oh my god, it's the shooter. I was like, <laughs> why are you guys not guarding 
Trey Murphy <laughs> behind the three-point line. Um, and then obviously, like, Ingram has missed a bunch of time. I'm looking at it now. He's missed uh, 18 games, I think it is. And, you know, you said he missed a bunch of time last year. Well, the difference now is they have Zion and they have CJ. And uh, right. that's a lot different than what they had last year. And, you know, I, I wasn't big on the CJ trade. I thought, like, you know, this was a team that was, like, seven games behind or something like that. At the time they made that deal, I was like, why are you just trying to make the play-in? And I uh, could not really have been more wrong about that. So good for them. I'm still skeptical on how McCollum fits into the, my opinion, like the best version of the of the Pelicans. But he can be a, a really good part in a lot of them. And I could just also be wrong. Like I've been I've been lower on CJ it's, at various. It's also like the you would think the Zion era is going to last a while. Hopefully, that's right. the idea. It's fine to have a not perfectly fitting piece for the early Zion era. And like Absolutely, and, and it, it's something teams get wrong a lot. Um, I mean, and it, and they didn't give up so much in that trade. They gave a lot. They gave up more than I would have done in the same situation. But they did, especially when you consider how asset rich the Pelicans were at the time. They still have plenty of resources, and some of those resources are looking juicier now than they were a year ago. And I was, uh-huh. I was, I my, so I went back because Nate and I did a, we do awards typically at the end of December, and I looked at my awards, my awards bracket from that point, and I had LeBron fifth in the MVP at that point last year the Lakers were 18 and 19 but it was the he was he had put up I think it was 20 he was averaging 29 8 and, and 7 and like incredibly efficient and the Lakers it's more I mean LeBron is he's, he's getting back into into being a being a stronger player again and they got that really great stretch from AD before he went out with the foot issue and for the Lakers I think it's more about the confidence in where things are going and to some extent for those who had more optimism because you know we were closer to the championship they won in 2020 a year ago the that the people making decisions were good at making those decisions and that feels a lot longer ago now yeah those guys got extended though yeah they did um you know now that he's got his extension palenko might as well you know start earning it a little bit um yeah i mean there's there's not much more to say about the lakers really and the pelicans are going to benefit and if anybody can get them to make like a a panic trade between now and the deadline somebody else might benefit a few years down the line i, I can't possibly imagine what the motivation would be to do that now like if ad is going to be out for a while like is it really worth trying to salvage this season like does lebron deserve it sure but is it, it capable of being salvaged not really well and that that's the point nate and i were talking about this when the davis injury came down and we still don't have a really definitive timeline on it is that the pathway from this point the lakers as we're recording this are 14 and 20 is I don't see a realistic way, assuming Davis misses, you know, at least another two weeks, but probably longer than that with just this injury. There's no guarantee. I hope he's healthy after this. No guarantee that it will be the case. There isn't a realistic path unless there are a lot of injuries to get beyond the play-in, like to be in the top six seeds. And remember, being the fifth or the sixth seed gets you out of the play-in. You're still the road team in, in all likelihood in every series you play. And yeah, so, and you got to go play like, you know, even just right now, you would be playing Denver, New Orleans, or Memphis. That, right. Those are not good matchups, <laughs> especially exactly. those teams with the athleticism they have would be uh, a challenge, to say the least, for the Lakers. Right. And so what are you what are you giving that for? Now, If uh, Hollinger talked about this a little bit, where it's like if you're getting somebody for 22-23, you know, you're getting, or 23-24, somebody who can be a part of the next team, then that can be a different sales pitch. And whether that's Bradley Beal, who's under contract, but also has a no trade, or somebody like Miles Turner, yeah, they can, they can get there. But yeah, I... I wasn't high on the Lakers before. I gave them proper deference for making the right moves in 2019 that led to the 2020 championship. And I know some people want to denigrate the bubble championship, but they did still win the championship. And people talk about that with every champion. Oh, they didn't beat X. They didn't beat Y. It's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, like the the trophy is the exact same trophy and the banner still sits in the Raptors. I don't care if you don't think it's not right. a worthy title. Well, like, and also think about it this way. The title way. is a like, title. The, the Lakers in 2021, they, I, I mean, if Anthony Davis doesn't get hurt, I think they beat the Suns in that series. And I don't know. Possibly. If, like, I, I don't know if they would have made the conference finals. I don't know where things would have gone from there. It would have been, there would have been some, some fun, weird series to, to go in kind of through that, through that morass. But the Lakers, I mean, I mean, it is it is kind of interesting like that so what we had seen before that point they won a championship then they got knocked out by a word injury and then they had a, 
uh, had a, a fr- they ended up with a more frustrating year. And yeah, that's that. Sometimes the way these things go, especially when you have a top heavy team and an older team is you never get that like finality. You, I don't know why this is the example, probably because it's the Lakers of, was that? No, I was trying to think of what player that was that drilled J.J. Barea as like Phil Jackson was just like looking on in horror. Andrew that, that, Bynum. It was Andrew Bynum, yeah. So like, you don't always get that. You don't always get the the firm like, oh, this is, this is the closing of one door and the opening of another. And I don't, LeBron is good enough, Anthony Davis is good enough that I don't want to say that definitively, but the idea that they're a top tier championship contender again, I, I, it, I would be thrilled, but I would also be stunned. I'd be pretty surprised. You know what? I wouldn't be surprised because they're the Lakers and they just kind of get guys. So if it happens, like I'm not going to be surprised because that just happens for them somehow. Yeah, like, true. Did they do anything in particular to get LeBron? No. Like <laughs> he just went there because he wanted to. Yeah. And that kind of thing happens for the Lakers all the time. So I won't be surprised, but does it seem all that likely to me? And do I see like a realistic way it could happen? No, but I also didn't see a realistic way. Like LeBron was going to go there until everybody was like, Oh yeah, LeBron is definitely going there. And then it just happened. Right. So that's the kind of thing that happens for them. Um, speaking of older teams, though, I want to get your opinion on something. Before the season, I was um, getting ready to pick the Bucks to win the title because I just thought like they were going to be – you know, the, the best team on, you know, I, I thought they were going to win basically is, is what it came down to. And then like a few days before the season, there was a report like, Hey, Chris Middleton's going to be out for the first couple of weeks. Um, and then I went looking at their roster and I was like, man, this team is, is old, man. Like they they might be relying on like two guys older than me as real rotation players. Now, that hasn't actually happened. Like George Hill is not really a rotation player. Wes Matthews is kind of like, you know, in and out, not playing like a ton of minutes. Like he's, he's playing, but it's not like he's getting, but I mean, you know, they, the idea is that Joe Ingles is probably going to be a part of it at some point. And I mean, he's only, yeah. he's only and played he, for He's years, in so. there. Yeah. And uh, is he older than me? We're he, both 35. I'm not sure uh, when he turned 35. Um, he's, no, um, he's October of 87. Okay. I'm uh, a five months or so older than him. But anyway, the, the Bucks have, they are the oldest team in the league by minutes weighted age. And, you know, coming into the season, I was like, they got all these old guys. They're, they got guys breaking down with injuries. Now Middleton has another injury right after he came back. Ingles is coming back from that ACL. Drew has missed a bunch of games with injury. They're putting so much on Giannis's plate. I believe he's leading the league in usage rate this year for the first time. Last time I checked, he was up at like 38, 39%, which is kind of outrageous. Yeah, he's at 38.2. Um, which is actually not that much higher than his last MVP season in 1920 when he was at 37.5, um, but less efficient this year. Some of that is due to the free throws. Some of that is like he's got to take tougher shots because Chris isn't out there for a lot of these games. But it's it's a lot to ask of him. And I, like, I'm wondering if we're getting to the point where like I know the Bucks have whatever it is, the second, third best record in the league or something like that. Their point differential doesn't really – Back that up. They're um, looking at it now. Three losses in a row, uh, five and five in their last 10. Um, in terms of double digit wins, they are 11 and six, which is pretty good. But like Cleveland is 15 and six, Boston is 14 and four. Um, you know, the Pelicans are 13 and four, Phoenix is 14 and seven. Like, I'm just, I'm wondering if we're thinking of the Bucks as the Bucks from two years ago when maybe they might not be anymore. I'm not even sure that that, that that's the case. I'm just, that was something that I was thinking about coming into the season. And like some of the things that I was worried about have held true. They are really old and they are banged up, but they're also like playing really good defense. They're in top five in defense. Their offense hasn't been quite as good, but they can sustain on that end until like, Middleton gets back in the lineup and then like we can see what happens. I'm just I'm, I'm curious what you think about with them. It's a very good question in part because figuring out what is what is signal and what is noise for this Bucks team is is hard. And I mean, one of the way things that I fall back on is their defense is incredibly good. And of course, the year they won the championship, they were they were great. And they were also 10th out of 20 teams in offense the year they won the title. And there were times that it looked like that was going to kill them. It looked like it was going to kill them against the Nets. They ended up pulling out that series. And then, of course, when it looked like Giannis got hurt, but then he was he was thankfully okay. And so I think the Bucks are they are definitely good 
good enough to win a title, but my like to add a title equity with them is probably a little lower for two different reasons. One of them is the age part of it slat combined with just depth that I don't particularly trust. They're not bad players, but the idea of like are they going to put fear into the hearts? Or are they going to be easily attacked? And so like, Javon Carter has been at times better this season than I really anticipated. He's, he's a wonderful defensive player. That's why he's been able to stick in the league as long as he has. He's 27 at this point. But so you think about the foundations that the Bucks have. And remember that at some of their best moments, they haven't even had Brook Lopez on the floor because of the defensive versatility and everything else. And so that's a lot harder to do when you don't have that full complement. And it's, of course, fair to say that two years from that current P.J. Tucker is not as good as two years ago P.J. Tucker, even though he's not on the Nets anyway. But, you know, like, so you're leaning more heavily on Grayson Allen. You're leaning more heavily on Bobby Portis and a few of these other guys. And they don't really have a ton on the wing unless Connaughton and Matthews can really step it up. I still think, you know, a lot of times for me, I lean back on the, well, but do they have something that other teams can't really deal with? And they have Giannis. So the answer to that is yes. (laughs) And I mean, it's important to, like, I think that this, you don't tether yourself to this, but I always think about teams, and it's funny because we just talked about the Lakers on this, teams that were definitely championship quality, and then the reason that they didn't the next year was primarily something outside of their control that theoretically is resolved. Now, Chris Middleton's been battling injuries, but it's not quite the same thing. And so it can be that passage of time just knocks them out. Like that is that is something that can happen or departures or anything else. So I think for me, thinking about it right now, even though the top of the top of the West has not looked as good as I'd hoped, there's still plenty of time for somebody to figure it out. And that's, that's my concern. The funny thing about this, and they'll tie in with the team I want to talk about next, is this is something I said about the Celtics for a couple of years during their run before what's been going on recently is like when they made the fight those that year they made the conference finals and lost to the LeBron Cavs and everything else is the idea that they're very good but I think I'm always going to like somebody better than them like that you know the that other teams can reach a higher high and Giannis is the great equalizer in that if you think of the Bucks as an underdog because he's not an underdog to anybody but you need you need probably seven really good players because you assume at least somebody's going down and that's you know that that's series the finals they played against the Suns was what clarified my concept that it's the be- the healthiest team that's in the mix is the team that's probably going to win the title and I think the Bucks are in the mix but they're not they're not the top team in the mix yeah I also am like now at this point like, I feel like you have to be extremely skeptical that they'll be the healthiest team at right. any point just given the volume of injuries that they've dealt with I would also just feel a lot better if the like Grayson Allen Javon Carter Pat Connaughton Joe Ingles Wes Matthews group was consolidated into like two guys that are good um or and, honestly and even that's one. why I'm, I'm like looking at it and watching and like you know hey is um why am i blanking on it is like oh is marjan bochamp gonna pop like and i'm like getting interested in that a little bit and it's like just because they need somebody that's like big wing size that is like good and can yeah, get well, them into that kind of stuff nate and i did the broadcast on the strategy stream of the game when bochamp hit i think three three-pointers and you're like oh okay he's got some def- got you know for a young guy his defense is getting there and he can maybe he can hit some threes and i'd love for that to be the case you know that that would be awesome and they need somebody and it's also really hard to get that player on the buyout market i was thinking back to marvin williams those years ago when they when they were able to get him and that how that was able to, to work in a different way but and i hope that happens hard to see but let's get to the celtics i mean for boston yes the difference in terms of record is so striking they've been the league's best team so far after starting the year 17 and 19 this is before the turnaround happened they also had a rising star coach that is now no longer their coach joe Missoula is the interim and the bigger part though is the rise and continued rise of some of their players and i mean for for jason tatum he had a very strong playoff run overall not all not all hits but not many misses either and the defensive execution that they had they they often played well in offense and then coupled with tatum being a better player this year than he was last year and and moving forward and being in the mvp candidate discussion is a huge step forward for them and the idea that the celtics i don't know if they'll win the title this year i don't know if they'll win the title next year they absolutely could they i i think right now they'd be my front runner to do so they it, it seems to me like absent serious injuries they'll be in that mix for a while yeah i mean you would think so when you have like the, the league right now is kind of built around like these big wing types like those are the guys that dominate most of the games at this point obviously there are you know plenty of you know centers that are incredible players and the center has been you know the mvp the last two years and 
two years before that, it was Giannis, who was like sort of a combination of both of those two things. But it really seems like you do need those wings to be really good at this point, for the most part. And they have two of those guys that are playing at, you know, as high a level as anybody. And like Tatum, I wrote the the bubble season. I wrote this story about like, you know, how Jason Tatum made the leap. And it was like, here's how much better he's been. Like, oh, just over like the last six weeks. And it was like going into his first all-star appearance. And I feel like I could write another one now. Like it's sure. the same thing. And like he had been that good over the last two years. And now he's just like way better. It's like, it's exactly what you hoped he was good. Like he's reaching what the biggest backers thought he would be when he came out of college and probably even exceeding it, you know? And it's it's always fun to see that kind of player. The transition, so for him, and Nate and I were reviewing our top prospects going through history over the over the last while because we did top prospects a few days ago. And Tatum, I, I deeply regret having him fifth last year. And the idea that I had was he is in many ways a perfect complimentary star. He has great positional size. He has a phenomenal skill set and he can do things with the bonus hands which means he's a he's a capable one but he's an unbelievable number two and the argument there is actually very similar to anthony davis about five years ago and of course he did the that was actualized on the 2020 championship lakers and what i wondered though is like does tatum have that next gear and some of that we'll have to see in the playoffs. Like some of that is going to be you face really good opponents. Can he get to his shots? Can he create those looks for other people? But the regular season answer, and especially considering Jason Tatum, like this isn't necessarily like the best year of his career or anything. He's 24. Like the the, the answer there is, oh yeah, there is a, there is another gear. And the thresholds get real high. He definitely has a chance to do it. And part of, like we just talked about the Bucks. part of what makes the Celtics in just a different place there, and this isn't all me talking John Horst is terrible and the Ainge-Stevens combination are great, is that Boston, through various different means, has so much more credible depth. And they have good defenders at the guard positions who can defend bigger when you need to. They can play small ball, which they have and has juiced their offense, which even despite this this low recently is still number one in the league. I mean, I t- they're, they, their half-court offense, half offense at one point was like, basically it was above any I could see in the recent history. And I think that's toned down a bit, still doing real well. And so for Boston, that foundation of the wing size players and then the right complement complementary pieces, then we'll see if guys like Hauser and, you know, I, I believe in Grant Williams, but like, and Brogdon, now that he's in a smaller role, like what Joe Missoula has at his disposal is a group of players that, especially in the regular season but honestly i believe in the playoffs that you're you have good choices rather than avoiding pitfalls yeah this is one of the things that we used to talk about with like the early brad stevens celtics where one of the reasons they were better than people thought in the regular season was just because they never had to put bad players on the floor yep and it's that like that at a much higher level now and the, the thing with me for Tatum that gives me uh, encouragement that sort of uh, the, the step forward that he's taken is is more likely to stick in the playoffs than in years past. And it's not like he had a bad playoffs last year, by the way. Like he wasn't particularly good in the finals, obviously, but it's, it's not like he was bad throughout the playoffs. He was pretty damn good. Um, the thing that gives me more confidence is the free throw rate that's ticked all the way up. Yes. Um, a few years ago, it was like, all right, man, like you got to start getting more than like four and a half free throws a game. He's up to eight and a half free throws a game this year and those are like three points when you shoot as well from the line yeah and and he's earning those too like this isn't you know it's not necessarily like he's more aggressive driving his drive game has gotten so much better his finishing has gotten so much better yeah i mean he's just like you look at the way his frame has filled out since he came into the nba like which makes sense he was 19 now he's 24 almost 20 or yeah almost 25 years old um you know a, a young 24 you would say. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. Like as you mature into your body, you're better able to withstand contact and you can, you know, get by guys off the dribble without necessarily blowing by them because you could sort of nudge your way past them or nudge your way through them or whatever it is. And everything that he's able to do off the dribble, the handle has gotten better. Like, And I think you could say a lot of the same things about Jalen Brown. You yeah. Know? Um, it's sort of very similar development paths. And you could make a credible argument. I mean, I remember discussing this at the time that Jalen Brown was the better Celtic in the conference finals last year. And Brown having a second player who has that ability, even if he is less consistent game to game or series to series sometimes, is a real advantage because you only, typically, especially when you have this level team quality, you only really need one. And if you can get it from from one or both those guys and the, the level of credible depth that they have and hoping that you push the right buttons at the right time. And like we also think about the Celtics gave up resources 
resources, not necessarily huge ones, to add in some of their depth players. And, you know, Derek White, I'm not sure he's going to shoot 37% from three all season, but he's a wonderful defensive player and he can do a lot of things that they can use. And Brogdon has been the offensive player that they liked. And he's been better defensively than I anticipated. So like getting those type of things. And I wish, sometimes I wish they could get more from their minimum guys, but also that's very rare. And Boston had such a loaded rotation that they weren't going to get the best of the best when it came to the minimum because they already had this. And remember, they were supposed to have to know Gallinari this year and they don't. Yeah, uh, for me, the key for guys like Derek White and Grant Williams is to be aggressive shooting. Like yep. even if you're not hitting them in that stretch where Derek White in the playoffs was, like, was just turning down shots because he was missing, you can't do that. Otherwise, it puts too much on Tatum and Brown's plate. Like those guys and Horford need to be willing to pull the trigger um and, and shoot when they're open like you can't hesitate you can't record scratch you can't stop the line from moving like put it up or put it on the floor and keep the line moving plenty more year in review to discuss with jared dubin but first a message from betonline.ag betonline remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season everything from nfl and bowl season to esports you'll always find the latest odds team matchup information player news and game trends at betonline BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. The fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite leagues and events. So what you do, you head to BetOnline.ag to join and use the promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Again, make sure to use the promo code CLNS50 to receive your rewards at BetOnline.ag where the game starts. Tatum is also a great way to transition into another part of this conversation that I think is worthwhile, and that's the opportunities and generally the way that some of these young players have capitalized on them over the last year. So John Morant, I mean, been one of my favorite players to watch since the day he set foot in the league. I remember being blown away by the college film on him, and John Morant actually missed a fair amount of 2022. Remember that extended stretch he missed in the end of the regular season last last year? But he had some really wonderful playoff moments, and you saw how he could be a game breaker for them and I mean the Grizzlies had played the Warriors to a tough series and then they fell and then Luka Doncic was the best player in a conference finals team and while there are there are certainly reasons to feel weird about where the Mavericks are going to see some of the league's bright lights especially some of the ones who hadn't I mean with Luka it's so weird because he I think you could make an argument he played two of the best young player playoff series I've ever seen for a player whose team didn't win either of them in those series against the Clippers but to see them to see John to see Luca not only in the regular season but also in the postseason take some real steps forward. Yeah, I mean, I'm still coming down off the high from that Luca game Whew. last night. I mean, <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> like, I was just sitting there cackling. Um, the, the the best part, though, and like not actual best. Part, oh, actually, let's fan. let's take a break from this big picture thing. You were you were you in the building? No, I was not in the building. It was oh. in Dallas. Yeah. Oh, that's right. It was in Dallas. That's right. But that was that was incredible. Which so two things about that. One, um, our uh, mutual friend Sean Hyken wrote a story a few years ago about how hard it is for NBA players to miss free throws on purpose. Yes. And then Luca did in that situation and got one of those crazy bounces. The ball came right back to him and he finished it himself, which was just absolutely like utterly outrageous. And he had already finished one off of the rim like that earlier as well from a missed three that he had created. So I was like absolutely out of control. And then I woke up this morning and one of the first things I saw um, when I looked at Twitter was a tweet from um, Isaac Harris, who hosts the uh, Locked On Mavs podcast. And the tweet was a picture of uh, Jonathan Chark's son, Jackson, and his wife, Melissa, at the game. And um, that was Jackson's first Mavs game to be at. And I just thought, like, that kind of thing just absolutely made my day. It it did. And it was, um, I saw it late. I'm on the East Coast right now. I saw it late. And it was just, I, I was so happy. It was one of the, like, every once in a while... It, like you know you, we've been in you and I have been in this business a fair amount of time we you know we back in the day we were were at mid-level exceptional together and there are <laughs> a lot existed, of by the way for like 
maybe six months, but so many people were right. there. It was a, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I think Seth was a part of it as well. There were a number of people, yep. of course. And and so we you know we get into these frame and we get into this like okay it's the midseason and all that and first thing that takes you out of it is all of these David Locke had a great thread on it yesterday these supernatural performances and like the league is in such a wonderful place with guys like Giannis and Luca and Steph and everyone else I, I could I could name so many players it would be offensive who I didn't name and so you have that that's just like we're seeing we're seeing these special things and then to remember that there's so much beyond that too and that and and yeah I mean with Jackson it's it's more personal for people like us because of our relationship with john and and but the remind the reminder that like this is there 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 are people that are growing up that are hopefully going to be the next iteration of us hopefully far better than us because that'd be great be great for conversations to get there and there's so much to love about where the game is right now not it's not perfect but it's really fun yeah and that's like that's why i'll um i'll always appreciate iverson because he's actually one of the guys that is like yeah these dudes are better than us um um, <laughs> uh, these dudes are just really good. And anybody who tries to tell you like, Oh, LeBron couldn't hack it in the nineties. Um, go watch like, you know, Knicks Pacers and whatnot in the nineties, like made me fall in love with basketball, but the basketball is, uh, not comparable to what we're seeing now. And I, I, um, I think I, that's I, okay. I, I, I think I'm bigger, stronger, faster, better trained. Like that's the way things work. Like <laughs> the, the future is more technologically and physically advanced than the past. That's the way the world is. It's not like denigrating the past to say that the game has gotten, you know, better that the that players have gotten better like that's just reality yeah and it the players from the 90s if they got to play in this if they got to play in this world if they got to have the development tools at their disposal that these players do they would have been very different too and and i would have yeah. loved to have seen what that could be and that is the nature of what you want sport to be you don't it, want it to like, be static if MJ was spending a million dollars a year uh, maintaining his body instead of smoking cigars and going to casinos and playing golf until 4 a.m., he would have been even better. Like, yeah. let's, like <laughs> or or you could think about like the development, like because it's like, oh, those Bulls teams didn't have anybody who could shoot. Well, if they had, if they had the developmental in- incentives in place, like if they basically you replace, you had all those players grow up. And at the same age as like Steph or Clay, or if you want to go even younger, somebody like Trey Young or John Morant. And then, and then, so it's like the, the game that gets emphasized and what you try to do at the AU level and the high school level. And if you play college at the college level, and it's like, yeah, it, it'd be a totally different world. And that's part of the fun is you, you get to do this. And I think back a lot to, uh, I talked to, I talk about this a lot with Jim Barnett and, um, former, you know, former Celtic, former Warrior, former Blazer, and longtime Warriors color analyst. And we, because he played against Will Chamberlain, he played with Bill Russell, and we talk about the idea of, well, what, how, how does this translate? And his answer on that, I've always thought made a lot of, it made a lot of sense to me, we can't verify this, and his theory was, the best of the best can hang with anybody of any era, and everyone else has generally gotten better. You know, the idea, that, and part of that is the opportunity presented through skill development and everything else. And so, and as he puts it, not having to fly commercial and how terrible that was when he played and everything else and so could kareem play now you bet could oscar play <laughs> now yes of course he could and it, and the stats would be different and the translations would be different and their games would be different but the surrounding talent and the develop and the training and the diet and all that and like th- but the these players are good enough to hang then too like that's that's the way it works yeah i mean i have the exact same take basically <laughs> like i can't i can't i wouldn't disagree with any of that but, so the other kind of group that we haven't talked about as much uh, you could say to an extent this came up with orlando is the teams that made significant decisions between now and then mostly personnel based and kind of how that's gone so utah you brought it up they were 26 and 9 and i think you could make an argument that jazz fans are happier now than they were then and some of that was the idea that something was going to happen you know like kind of no matter what and they'd already had these playoff failures and everything else and maybe that was fair maybe it wasn't I, I definitely understood it. I had become fatalistic on that iteration of the Jazz as well. Now they've got a lot more resources. They've got some good players, and the pathway to being a if if it's, you're a championship or bust, banners fly forever person. Yeah, that's a hard road. But they have a lot of players that are worth watching. It is an immensely entertaining team, and there are a lot of different ways for them to get better. And then if you want to go on the other side, and I'll give you the opportunity to talk about whichever of these you find the most compelling. So you have the Wolves who gave up a lot and are yeah they've been injured, but they're not in a dramatically different place which they of course hope to be i hope they would be there too and then you could say a team like the hawks where atlanta again they're 
at times they've looked better. They've battled all of these absences, which so many teams have to start this year. But as we're recording this, they have a negative net rating. They're 17 and 17. And it feels at times like everything's going to fall apart there. And so that's the other way that this changes. It's not like you, you win a championship. We actually haven't talked much about the Warriors on this, but you've changed things around and that makes you, that makes you feel differently about where things are going. I think it's interesting to contrast those teams, which as like the teams that made moves this summer with sort of the teams that everybody's talking about might need to make moves coming up on the deadline. Like people are down obviously um, on like Toronto right now on the bulls on the wizards. And it's like what it's you hit an inflection point. You try to go one way or the other. The jazz went one way, the Hawks and the Timberwolves went another way. And it seems like one way is, is working out you know a lot better um for those teams or for that team than it did for the others but then you look at cleveland and they pushed in for donovan mitchell and they had the roster infrastructure to do that and it worked out very well for them you know the pelicans pushed in for cj and that worked out for them the suns pushed in for chris paul and that worked out for them you know like it it just depends eventually you do hit an inflection point though and you got to choose a direction you can't you know trudge that middle path for forever and especially when you have guys like coming up on free agency and things like that which i think is where the like the raptors and the wizards and whatnot come into the discussion but it's always interesting to you know compare and contrast those kind of teams it's fascinating and another part of it i'm working on a piece about the bulls right now and part of it is evaluating you know like where are things and who is driving the success and and how can we change it and so like what tim Connolly, the shift in like the I was, I was reading a thing about this. I think this one it was on Reddit or on Twitter about like he was so obsessive about no skipping steps when he was in Denver and probably fueled by ownership biggest competitive advantage in the NBA it was the idea of well let's let's really upgrade and I, and I would argue skip some steps but the Gobert like the Gobert edition has worked out more poorly than I anticipated there also was the problem of like is like and, and of it needs to go really well quickly because of the age-related things and and the and also the idea of like where you know like the idea that it could potentially if it soured like what could what would the ripple effects be I mean I and I didn't see that what's happened so far and again winning is a great disinfectant we'll see what can happen there but it's it's striking and we'll see where things go and you you it's an interesting point you brought up you know kind of the these aggressive trades that have happened and i mean if you want to go back further the drew holiday trade and a number of others and i think those helped provide the groundwork they laid the groundwork for teams getting more aggressive because a lot of those moves actually worked out. i mean the lakers with ad they won a championship and they gave up a lot and i would argue they gave up too much for it but they also got a really good player in a, and and if they hadn't traded for him they would not have won the championship so that that's fantastic and they are you know they had they have that and we'll see how if they get anything more moving forward we'll see what anthony davis's place on the lakers is moving forward and then the some of the other ones that worked out so poorly are a little further in the review mirror and and those kinds of decisions are a mix of general manager and owner. And if the owner's willing to do it, sometimes they may hold it against you if you push back on it. And I mean, that's part of being a good general manager. Or maybe the general manager is just, they're, you know, they're, they're rowing different oars, but they're rowing the same direction. And that's... A, a challenge too and also moves can be well well thought out well planned and not work and they can be poorly thought out and poorly planned and work like that's the fun of sports is that nothing seems nothing is set i'll put it that way i don't like it when uh well planned out moves don't work it's uh, so <laughs> frustrating yeah. it's uh it bothers me especially because people will take that to mean that they weren't well planned yeah. um or Poorly planned moves working out actually might be more annoying because then people take that as evidence that they were well planned Um, and, you know, correlation, causation and all different kinds of other fallacies come into play there. And like uh, I I, I like to call this the uh, the Josh Allen theory where Bill's fans would tell you um, during his first two seasons that he was actually really good, but he wasn't. And then in his third season, he became really good. And Bill's fans took that to mean that everybody was wrong about Josh Allen in his first two seasons, that he wasn't actually bad, but he was bad. He got better. So that's kind of the way things work sometimes. Yeah, the, the player development stories. I mean, that's one of the ones in the discourse that bothers me the most is the idea that that we'll, might be like the best player development story like ever in football. Right. Is is the like will be and is are not the same. 
And and there are so many examples where, I mean, I'm thrilled for Bills fans, thrilled for Josh Allen that he has become the player, where people say that with the exact same certainty, and it was like Michael Beasley. And then it didn't end up working out. And, it, you know, all these, and then there's that idea. And I mean, it's, I, we, we get things wrong as analysts, and, and I, I try to wear all of my, all of my failures as well, because, or all my misses, because that's a part of this business, you know, but there are definitely some of those where, oh, it was inevitable. I mean, the most wild one to me with that, and I didn't get much of this because of the delay between and the change in fan base between when it happened, when it actually happened and when people thought it happened was Andrew Wiggins, where mm. there were Wolves fans that were like in my mentions or whatever saying like, oh, Andrew Wiggins is a great defender or all these things. I went, no, he's not. He could be in time. He has really good physical tools. And then years and years and years later, he is an essential part of a championship team. I wrote a story about him last year um when he was like having the first getting the like hey maybe this guy could be an all-star kind of buzz um about basically how it was like the first year of his career that he was actually a positive two-way player where it was like i don't know eight nine years into his career now or something along those lines and i had referenced in that story uh, a story that neil Payne wrote when wiggins was a rookie about how like his closest comparable basically was like james posey and like people flipped out on him at the time i remember like a big Twitter pylon because like he had called this guy was the number one pick like oh it's gonna be like James Posey um and then like he was mostly right for a bunch of years and then he became a much different player and now he's really good um if he can ever back get back on the court and if he can go back to playing defense like he did last year as opposed to the way he did for the first couple of weeks of the season yeah I uh, think the last team we should discuss on this front is the Warriors I mean they were 27 and 7 to start last year and they then like the absences were Clay Thompson comes back and Draymond Green gets hurt basically at the same time and then everything else that happens but they end up winning the championship and the effects of of what the warriors are to the nba title picture moving forward like there's there's a lack of clarity there and there'll be some time but they did win that championship it definitely changes the way we think about their legacy especially for kerr curry draymond and clay but also a lot of these other players and that you know, it is, it's obviously a different part of it. And if they can get back into the mix again, which I think is a distinct possibility, even though this year is going to be hard, like, but they, they still have that incredible run. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I always hear, I feel like, like, oh, this, this changes their legacy. And I feel like for me, it, it didn't. Like, I already thought of them that way. It's like after LeBron won the title in Cleveland, people were like, oh, you know, this cements LeBron's legacy. And it's like, no, nah, he was, you know, already that good. It's just, you're just admitting it now. Uh, yeah, and, and that's that's and a totally I, fair point. Yeah, and uh, I don't think it's unreasonable to disagree. That's just not, like, that's how I tend to think of it. Like, I already thought of, of Steph and Clay and Draymond and, and Kerr that way. Um, you know, maybe uh, Wiggins, I would say, suppose is a guy who got like the legacy bump if you want to call it that um just because of the way he played throughout last season and especially in the finals just like he was the second best player on that team in the finals and maybe the second best player in the finals period you know um and that's on a team with draymond and clay like that's outrageous and you know he's what 26 27 years old whatever he is like he could do more um obviously this year's warriors team hasn't looked quite like last year's and we still don't know when Steph is going to be back and the path to them looking like they did last year seems like very hazy at the moment like I don't know how they recapture last year's defense I don't know how they recapture last year's offense like I I don't know what that path looks like given the roster this year just the guys that they need to play a bunch of minutes like aren't like I like Kaminga I think he'll be good in the future he's not going to execute as well on both ends as Otto Porter Sure. You know, like that's just not going to happen. Um, so I, I don't know what the path is. Maybe it's trading Wiseman or Kamingo or Moody or something and trying to say, like, let's go for this for real one more time. I don't know if that's what they're going to do. But with the current roster, it's not like I'm not counting them out. It's just I don't like I'm not able to visualize what that path is. It's very hard to win a championship. And it's very hard not only in the playoffs, but for in the regular season for the pieces to be there together enough. And I mean, we talked earlier in the pod about the pathway for a team like the Lakers and the Warriors are in a better situation. You know, they're 17 and 18 and they have they have more guys we don't i my instinct is steph curry will be back before anthony davis but i'm not entirely sure but they're 
I think they they have, but it's still, you know, like if they're, let's say the sixth seed, it's hard to get from the sixth seed to a championship. It doesn't happen very often for a reason. And that's a serious consideration. The last thing I want to end with, I didn't know that I was going to go this direction, but you've inspired it. And we know we will have egg on our faces for this, but I want, and I can lead because I'll let you think about it a little bit, of trying to look forward a little bit and be think, just make, we'll make a guess about what team we'll think about more positively, significantly, next, a year from now than we do at this moment, and then a team that we'll think about worse. And the one rule will be, you can't just say whoever gets Victor Wembanyama <laughs> because that's not fair. <laughs> um, but the team I'm going to pick for the for the team that will be higher on at that point is a team that is conceptually in the Victor Wembanyama hunt, and that is the Oklahoma City Thunder. That is and the exact team I was thinking of. Because Shea is awesome like Shea Gilgis Alexander is having a wonderful season and a big problem with why the Thunder haven't been able to translate that success and also their 11th in defense right now cleaning the glass defensive rating is the overall lack of quality on their roster relative to like the playoff teams in the west or something like that and two big things are going to happen one is they're going to hopefully get a whole lot more Chet Holmgren next year and a lottery pick whatever that ends up being but also this is the time that I could see Sam Presti see ownership being on board to using some of their resources to get better and that's not saying throw everything in and try to get I don't know Kevin Durant I mean that would be amazing if if they're going to do that also you know Brooklyn's doing pretty well right now I don't think they're necessarily in that boat but OKC I like to think about building blocks and Shea Gilders Alexander is an all-NBA player right now there aren't that many guys that we know are that good on teams where Oklahoma City is yeah I mean what I need Preston to do like get two guys who can shoot we can't have another thunder era where like you're rolling out Andre Robertson and like those can't be the wings this time around like get, get a couple guys that can shoot so so don't trade team. for Hamadou Diallo again no, don't don't trade for Hamadou uh, I'm, look Andre Robertson was a, a pretty good player and he was he was important for their defense but we we cannot have this happen again where they just every year there's like a sinkhole at the two guard spot where they just run out a guy who literally cannot shoot to the point where like they had to use Raymond Felton at one point we can't do it this time around Sam <laughs> let's, let's go get some shooters for the team I feel I'll feel worse about I think it's a it's a hard it's a hard situation and there's a the the team that lingers the weird it's so funny considering what happened yesterday is it's not in terms of Luca but the Mavericks and just being like oh god is this just what they are for the next few years and lots of stars get put in difficult situations and it can be for a variety of different reasons and Jalen Brunson would have helped them and everything else but I I worry that at this point next year will be like oh Luca is having another unbelievable season the Mavericks lost in the first round and they're gonna just be there again like that they're the first team that looked down on like because it's sort of in a weird way I, I this came up in the top prospects with Evan Mobley where when you it, it's harder when you're optimistic and you start to not see a path forward like for that's Mobley's offense versus his defense versus where you were always kind of lower like let's say where the bulls are right now and so you're just like okay I understand this yeah I was gonna say um you know for for this question I think that I have two different answers. One is whichever of Toronto, Washington, and Chicago is the first mover in terms of being like, all right, we're just not in on this anymore. And Washington, I guess, has less to to do that with. It's basically just like, are they going to trade Kuzma and maybe give Beal what he wants if he decides he wants to leave? But I think that, that those teams are in one bucket. And then um, in another bucket is the Clippers because... Oh, I like that. Kawhi and PG both have player options after next season. Covington, Marcus Morris, Batum, uh, John Wall, um, all of those guys are up after next season as well. Um, And then the Heat... Because I believe Jimmy Butler's contract is not that much longer. He got an extension. It's a little bit longer now. Um, uh, right, it's two more years. But I, 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 I love that you brought up the last two teams you brought up are the two teams that I kind of had exa- had put in a separate category, which is I will feel very differently. I'm just not remotely sure which way. You know, so like the Clippers, it's Lucy with the football with me. I believe in their theory, even if they don't have the kind of like league creator that I love so much. And like when when Kawhi's been on the floor, they've generally been very good. He's looked a lot better physically over the last few weeks. But... I think I can only get burned. I, I think I can only get burned one more time. I don't know. Charlie Brown got burned a whole bunch of times trying to kick that football. Maybe it's like that. And then with <laughs> Miami, 
Part of it is also the passage of time. And they've had this weird thing this year where like all of their guys who we thought of as volume shooters and we're going to do it just aren't hitting shots this year. Basically, a hero. Hero's doing pretty well. But like Max Struess, who was so good last year, just isn't quite there. Duncan Robinson has fallen off massively. And then Bam hasn't quite taken the steps forward. And, and so for Miami, I mean, you think about that. I don't know. I, their... think, I think Bam has been pretty awesome. He's um... been he's been he's been very good defensively. I still, you know, I've always wanted him to be a little bit more offensively, but that's that might just be my own expectation rather than him yeah I mean he, he's scoring what like 21 22 a game like I don't know how much more yeah. we can expect from him on that side of the ball um he's a good passer could yeah and, like, and I mean I think the idea that he's going to be the engine for a good offense is just too much to ask like I, that yeah. it might just be me having to calibrate that he's a complementary offensive player not a definitive one and that's that's fine you know what yeah. the, the number of definitive offensive centers in the league is few yeah um speaking of that's one team I want to I guess the last thing in here, um, another team that I think we might be thinking about better than we do now, um, is Denver. Mm. They have what the second best record in the league right now. I think they're like two games back of Boston and there is like so much consternation from Nuggets fans on Twitter about how like they're not that good or not good enough. And like, they've been, you know, missing Michael Porter for half the season at this point, they're still working Jamal Murray back in from his injury. Um, you know, they've had their bench is like kind of a disaster, especially during the stretch when Porter was out and Bruce Brown was playing with the starters. Then the bench was like even more of a disaster. Basically any second that Jokic isn't on the floor, they're an epic disaster. Um, and they can't play defense yet, like at all. Um, but there's something there. Like when they get that group of five guys on the court together, Murray, KCP, Porter, Gordon, and Jokic, like whew, it just looks like magical, man. And I, and I feel like that that group with, you know, if you can trust three guys, Brown, Bones, and Jeff Green off the bench in the playoffs, like that team's going to be real good. I really hope we get to see them at full health going <laughs> into the playoffs and get that, get those series against some high level opposition. And I mean, as much as there's this, la- like the lack of a truly dominant team out West is, is a disappointment. I have no doubt that's that some of these teams are going to figure it out. And I don't know who it's going to be, whether it's, you know, like the Grizzlies have barely played their three best players yet because of injuries and everything like that. Or it's, you know, this is maybe this is the year that a team comes from a little bit further back and they have the championship moxie. They have players who've done it before. Or it's, you know, the the Nuggets or the Pels just figuring it all out. They have dominant individual players. And I'm I know there are going to be changes because like you think about how long ago a year ago feels like we only briefly talked about the Bulls having the best tied for the best record in the East at this point a year ago. And like the, things can change really quickly. And Ben Golliver made this point years ago on this podcast that things feel inevitable after the fact, but they really often aren't in that moment in time. And my instinct is that's what the 2023 championship is going to be. It's going to be a circumstance where we'll look back on it and it'll be a part of a larger part of a larger story, whether that's the dominance of the Celtics or one of these teams coming out of the West or the Bucks, you know, winning two out of three. And the only year they didn't was when, when Chris Milton was hurt. And I mean, the other one that would be so amazing is like, if Kevin Durant is the best player in the championship team, that isn't the Golden State Warriors. I don't think it's going to happen, but it could. That would be, uh, I, I don't think anybody would ever look back and say that was inevitable given the way this season has gone. Right. That's, that, that's the but... one where you're like, oh no, no. Yeah, that was not inevitable. <laughs> that would be one of the wildest NBA seasons like I can ever remember. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking time. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate you. Thanks again to Jared Dubin for taking the time to come on. You can read his excellent work. It's, NBA stuff is most often in 538, but it can be a whole lot of other places too. That's why it's a great reason to follow him on Twitter or on Authory. But you can also read his, I think his NFL work is excellent too. Some of that's on Twitter, but mostly it's for CBS. He does Jared's very smart on that and as somebody who tried to write about the nfl i'm very jealous of how good he is there and if you don't already you can follow him on twitter at jadubin5 j-a-d-u-b-i-n then the number five really enjoy having him on and i thought this was a good conversation i i would like it to be something that i do moving forward if i happen to remember which i definitely will not always do but thinking about it i once did a you could go back in the real gm archives i believe and i once did a full year in review pod with a bunch of different people which was a different concept but lots of great stuff here i hope you can support the show and if you want to there are a lot of different ways you can do it you can 
subscribe. Download every episode in whatever podcast player you want. It could be Apple, it could be Spotify, really wherever it is. We appreciate that. Then leaving a rating and review, presumably in that same podcast player that helps other people find the show, as does word of mouth, telling other people, whether it's online or in person, hey, you might like this, that we really do appreciate that. And the most important thing you can do for Real GM Radio and any other show that has them is to check out our sponsors. And for this episode, that is betonline.ag. Use the CLNS50 promo code to tell them that you came from us. And to more importantly for you, get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. You can also check out my other work. Nate and I are doing Dunked On and Dunked On Prime. Just did Top 10 Prospects with John Hollinger. We actually did some retrospectives on that. They'll be coming out soon beyond that of like how the players have gone from last year. And then we're going to do more on the evolution of some of these players as prospects. Probably next week, we're also going to do awards again soon and a bunch of other great stuff. The NBA strategy stream will be back on New Year's Day. So you could check that out. I believe the matchup is Celtics Nuggets, which is an 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific start. Should be an awesome, awesome game. So you can check that out. It's Nate and I calling calling it, and you can watch the game there. It was always our dream, and we love doing that experience for us and for you. Have some written work in the offing at The Athletic. Nothing's coming out right now, in part because I am traveling, but in part because... It's not quite ready for editorial, but it should be soon, and I'm excited about it, working on that right now. If you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is an absolute promise. I'm, I'd like to get back to you. I admit that I'm not the greatest at it, so I'm being upfront. But thank you so much for listening. Take care, have a happy new year, and make it a great day.